0: Hello and welcome, fellow Unrealers, to Unreal the Original Cinema. I'm your host, Davis Gammons, and I would like to welcome you all to my second episode on this show, though technically, this is the one, the first one that is going to adopt uh, the new format that we are going to be using for the foreseeable future. Now, uh, before we get started, I would just like to introduce you to the format of this so you'll be able to follow me. And hopefully I won't be too long winded about it. But what we are going to do on this show is that we are going to cover the filmographies of one particular filmmaker at a time. And what we're going to do is that I'm going to do a brief introduction of them. Uh, any history, uh, prior to the career, if available, and we're going to cover up to three films per episode, depending on the length of said career. If it goes on for longer than three films, we are going to divide these episodes up into uh, basically chapters, going to be part of a series. But today's filmmaker is going to be only three episodes because this filmmaker has made three films uh, between 2013 and had his most recent one come out this year in 2023. And after I cover these films, I'm going to detail to you how you can attain them either through purchasing, through hardware, software, streaming, whichever works. And then afterwards, I'm gonna cover what's next and we're gonna detail uh, what is in store next for this said filmmaker. So without further ado, let's get started with Unreal, the original cinema's first ever subject, Matt Johnson. Matt Johnson is a Canadian filmmaker who doesn't have that much history prior to his first film, but he is a man whose personality translates into his own work very well, and you will see what I mean as we get started. Now, before we get into his first film, I want to talk about a little web series that he started called Nirvana, The Band, The Show. Now, we're not going to go too deep into this because... I want to cover only the filmographies the feature length uh work of these filmmakers but i do feel like it's important uh in context especially when we get to the end of this episode why i'm going to talk about nirvana the band the show nirvana the band the show was a co-creation between matt johnson and jay mccarroll and jay mccarroll is actually a musician who would go on in Madge Johnson's filmography to become his composer. But Nirvana, the band, the show is a little web series about a band called, get this, Nirvana, also the band, in Canada that hasn't written any actual songs and can't have their band under control but instead they try to launch their way into superstardom by pulling off all these crazy publicity stunts. And the way that this is presented is through a mockumentary format. Now, you may be confused as to what the term mockumentary is, but I'll just have you know, much like a documentary, it's presented in the format of this is events that actually happened in real life. But, hence the mock, instead of the doc, at the start of it, means that this is all fictional, it's just presented through the lens of real life. The most obvious example that many of you may be familiar with are television shows like The Office or Parks and Rec. I haven't seen any of this show for myself, but I would be very interested in seeing it. Only problem is, is that being a Canadian television series... Uh, web series actually we'll get to the television part of that later it is not easily available uh, in my research thus far to see however I do hope that it will be more readily available in the near future and I will have you know why towards the end of this episode but for now let's get into Matt Johnson's very first film the dirties now the dirties is a mockumentary as well That was filmed on a budget of $10,000, with an additional $45,000 in post-production for music licensing rights. The film premiered at Slamdust Film Fest in Park City, Utah in January of 2013, gaining a wide release in October 2013. Now what this film is about, and be forewarned, there is going to be a little bit of controversy surrounding this film, which we'll get into more detail. The Dirties tells the story of two high school students slash film aficionados played by Matt Johnson himself and Owen Williams. Both are respectively named in the film, Matt Johnson and Owen Williams. At their high school, they are constantly picked on and sometimes violently harassed by a group of bullies that they have come to dub The Dirties. Being two guys who never go anywhere without a film camera, they decide to do a tongue-in-cheek wish-fulfillment short film of sorts, about them getting revenge on their bullies. When they present it to one of their teachers, he says that he cannot present it to the other students unless they excise all the foul language and excessive, albeit fake, violence in the film. Frustrated, Matt suggests to Owen that they reshoot the film, except they do it for real this time and get actual revenge on their bullies. Owen seems to go along with it, only over the course of the film do we start to see that... Matt may not have been entirely joking about doing it for real. Now, I won't go into details about if this is for real or for not, but keep in mind that this is very sensitive subject matter, and with good reason. Gun violence, especially in schools, is a very serious issue. It seemed to be a not rare but infrequent occurrence back in 2013 and now in 2023, anyone who watches the news knows that it is very much not that. And it is a very sad state of affairs that uh, needs to be addressed. But this isn't so much a commentary on that as it is it is a commentary on we as a society's desensitization to violence because of how much of what we see in media through film or television And it's also the character study of basically a psychopath who is so entrenched in film to the point where reality and fiction is more or less a blurring line for him. And this character is uh, the one played by Matt Johnson himself. And I gotta say that I do really admire him for being a guy who, as you will see when you watch this film, if you watch this film who wears all cinematic influences on his sleeve and obviously loves the medium to be able to also say that being too into a film to the point where you're just so desensitized, not just to violence, but to other people's feelings that you become basically a self-centered narcissist who doesn't have any feeling of consequence. I think that's a really bold uh, thing to put in here. So I won't go into further detail about it because this is really kind of a descent into madness and I don't want to give too much about the plot away. But I will say that uh, despite its subject matter that it is a very engaging watch. Matt Johnson especially uh, proves that not only is he a very good filmmaker but he's also a very good actor as well. And that's uh, part of the double-sided coin of this character study of Psychopath is that uh, ten years before The Dirties came out, in 2003, uh, we got a similar film, almost, directed by Gus Van Sant, who did films like, uh, I'm trying to remember the name here, he did Milk with Sean Penn, and what was the other one? Good Will Hunting with Matt Damon and Robin Williams. Uh, in 2003, he came out with a film called Elephant. And it was a dramatization of the very real-life Columbine High School shooting and that great tragedy. And in that film, it presents the two shooters in a very, very dispassionate light and a very unsympathetic one. Uh, It's been oft-debated what exactly the motivation was behind the events of that day. But the film presents it as... Those two guys were just insane, literally. They don't behave at all like real people in that film. Uh, I mean, they're, they look practically possessed in that film. So the film does not ask you or want you to sympathize with them and their actions in the least. In this one, it's not asking for your sympathies, and it definitely does not condone uh, the actions that ultimately take place but with Matt Johnson and the way his character is portrayed as uh, being very affable, uh, very funny, very energetic, and uh, it feels a lot like he's trying to cover up for his own loneliness and his disenfranchised uh, state uh, from the high school scene, that... It does ask you to kind of see what, not so much what, but how far one is willing to be pushed uh, before they are willing to take things a more drastic step further. And it, it's a, both a great performance from him, a good script by him, and just an overall really good story by him. But moving on, let's go into Johnson's next film which is a little more fun, but uh, may prove controversial. That is, if you're into conspiracy theories. Operation Avalanche. Now, this film is, once again, in the mockumentary format, and also, once again, has Matt Johnson and Owen Williams playing characters named Matt Johnson and Owen Williams. Except this time, it takes place in the 60s, and takes a mockumentary format approach to... The moon landing of Apollo 11, suggesting that it was faked and Johnson and Williams are two CIA agents who infiltrate NASA, find out about this and decide to make a film themselves faking the moon landing, but broadcasting it for real to the American public. Now, what's interesting about this film, first off, is the cinematography of it, because it was actually shot on digital, but what happened in post-production was that it was printed onto film and then ran through the ground to give it a dirtier look to make it more accurate to the 60s, which really convinced me, especially as someone who, uh, in the argument of digital filming versus film filming, uh, does prefer film, but does see that digital can be just as good as film if used in the right hands. But as for the story itself, uh, this one is very fun and once again just shows how big of a movie nerd that uh, Johnson himself is. And we learn a lot about the creative process of how the moon landing would have been faked had it been faked, even though Johnson himself has gone on to say that he personally believes that there's no way that the moon landing could have been faked because in order to capture the effect of zero gravity, it would have to be filmed in slow motion, which taking place in the 60s, it wasn't possible to film in slow motion yet. But uh, that's about as far as I want to go with this one. There is a lot of twists and turns that this story takes. It's very nice to look at, and it's got typically great performances from Johnson as well as Williams and the supporting cast there's also a really great car chase very creative yet simplistic what they do with it uh but this one was definitely a lot of fun and one that i'm really excited uh for you all to see and as you'll find out at the end of this episode is very easy to watch at the moment but going back before we go to his next film uh let's go back to nirvana the band the show which as stated before started out as a web series but from february of 2017 to 2018 it actually became a full-length series uh for two seasons with eight episodes each with johnson once again starring in all of them but also directing all of them it ran on cbc which is a canadian broadcast corporation in canada unfortunately uh only the second season is currently available to view online in its entirety and I would like to watch it, but the entire, for, but being a completionist, I would rather see the first season first. But uh, we may be seeing it in its entirety very shortly. Uh, but more on that later. But for now, let's go on to Johnson's latest and newest film, *Blackberry*, which came out earlier this year in May and is his first not only narrative feature, but it's also based on a true story, adapted from Jackie McNish and Sean Silkoff's Losing the Signal, the untold story behind the extraordinary rise and spectacular fall of BlackBerry. Now, this was co-written by Johnson in collaboration with Matthew Miller, who up until this point has been a producer on all of Johnson's films. And it is a very smart, funny, intelligent, and insightful script into the story of the BlackBerry, which hard to believe that 15 years ago, uh, many of us still had Blackberries in our hands. I remember my father used to own a BlackBerry. But of course, now we know that Apple is the leading brand uh, in phones as well as uh, it has pretty strong competition in Android and even Google has gone on and made their own phone and uh, that's been a pretty big hit. But this is a very fascinating story and one of many, but still a very important looks at uh, the ruthlessness of greed and big corporations with Jay Baruchel as Mike. Now, let me see if I'm pronouncing this right. I should know because I just saw the film. Mike Lazaridis and Glenn Howerton as Jim Basili. Uh, Lazaridis uh, created the BlackBerry but it was balsili that is the man who uh, was able to market it and make it into the big hit it was. And whatever you have to say about the BlackBerry now, there is no denying that these two people are highly responsible for making the smartphone, uh, the global phenomenon they are today. I mean, to think that when they created it, we were still using basically bricks to talk to each other and just to talk to each other. And now, with smartphones, even one on my side right now, we can do so many other things with them, for better or worse. But it is nonetheless fascinating to see how it came to fruition. Baruchel and Howerton are both amazing in their performances, and Johnson himself, this is the first time he's not on camera all the time, but uh, he's still a supporting character as Doug Freegan, who was Lazaritis's uh best friend, and co-founder of Robotics in Motion, which was the company's name before it became BlackBerry. Now, this film costs $5 million to make, which is a huge, huge uh, bump up from even Operation Avalanche, but there are conflicting reports as to how much money the film actually made at the box office. Uh, According to TheNumbers.com, the film made worldwide According to the numbers.com, it made it $2,471,000, but according to Box Office Mojo, it made only $1,671,000. And when you go to the Wikipedia page, it's around $2.6 million total that it says of the film earned. Uh, it's up in the air which one is accurate, but unfortunately, whichever one is, it still means that the film was not a success at the box office which is sad because it was one of the many films that have come out this year that I tried to go see, but it was only in my art house cinema for a week before it was kicked out. And that was even before I knew who directed it. I was just fascinated by the idea of the story. But either way, I thought this was a lot of fun, uh, very funny. My only criticism would be that I feel like, unlike uh, something like The Social Network, which a lot of Uh, people have compared BlackBerry to is that you don't get that much of an insight as to the personalities of Lazaridis and uh, Balsili. but uh, that may be rectified uh, later on this year, and I'm excited to see where this goes. But now that we've covered his filmography, let me tell you all where you can go and find these films. Going back to The Dirties, it is currently streaming for free right now on Amazon Prime Video, Plex, and Freevee. Plex and Freevee are a couple of free movie channels that all you need, I believe, is to set up an account with them, or maybe just go into their website and uh, view it for free yourself. Just look up The Dirties. As far as purchasing it goes, this is the only film by Matt Johnson to have a Blu-ray available in the States. I've looked it up online and it is a very hard find uh, to the point where when it does come up, I'm pretty sure it's not going to be very cheap. Operation Avalanche is going to be the easiest for anyone to access as right now it is playing for free on YouTube and all you have to do is watch some ads with it. But it is also playing for free on Plex and Vudu as well. The film does have a DVD release here in the States. You can get it on Amazon right now for $13.99. But if you want to cave in and get it on a Blu-ray, unfortunately it is only available from Germany. Uh, now the Germany Blu-ray is Region B lot. And without getting too technical into it, all the Blu-rays you would get in the States are coded Region A. Uh, region B is generally basically anywhere overseas in the UK uh, onward. But... If you do have a Blu-ray player that is marked as region-free when you buy it, that means it'll play region B titles even if they're locked. So if you want a cave, uh, give it a look in there. And lastly, for BlackBerry, now right now it is available to rent on all major for streaming platforms like Apple, uh, Prime, Vudu uh, for $6.99, or you can own it for $14.99 in uh, very beautiful uh, 4K HD. Unfortunately, uh, because of the film's uh, lack of financial success, it is only coming out on DVD uh, on August 15th. So as of this recording, it is coming out the Tuesday after this Tuesday. So I would definitely re- recommend that you check it out because it is also going for $13.99 right now on Prime. And with physical media, unfortunately, not having the best of times, I would definitely recommend getting it if you're interested in the very least. But going into something just a little more serious at the moment, I do want to talk about physical media for a second. For years now, uh, we have all been streaming a lot of our films and television shows online, uh, through our TVs, laptops, phones, Netflix, HBO Max, it's now called Max, Amazon Prime. But unfortunately, because of that, physical media is uh, seeing somewhat of a downward spiral. In fact, recently, Disney just announced uh, that they are halting production of releasing any physical media in the nation of Australia. With Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, which just recently came out, uh, going to be their last ever Uh, physical media release in that country so my deepest sympathies and condolences to all film lovers who love their physical media in australia and because of that i do want to note the importance of physical media because while i am forever grateful for all these streaming services not just because that they make accessing our favorite films and television shows easy but because they also provide access to a lot of films and television that we wouldn't otherwise see on TV, uh, due to syndication, uh, rules. But, uh, aside from like books, how books are being, uh, digitized more and more every day, uh, not only is there just a great feeling of actually holding your favorite film or show in your hands, but also the bit rate, Uh, is always greater when you get it on physical media. Now, for those unfamiliar with bitrate, it's just at the rate at which your film runs. Uh, Whenever you stream anything online, it's always going to run a little bit slower, and the sound quality isn't ever going to be quite as good, even if you're running it on cable. So, in this day and age where movie theaters and physical media is not doing quite as well as it used to, but it's still holding out. I do advise that anyone who is uh, still interested in films, not just viewing them, but actually holding on to them, keeping them as a part of history, that you absolutely should, if if you're able to go out and just be able to own your favorite films, because they may not be lasting much longer, but if we do keep buying and make a louder voice about it, and uh, dictate just how important it is, then it may be a long while before uh, it's gone entirely. So just always keep an eye out for any online sales, especially for specialty labels like uh, Criterion, Kino Lorber, Arrow Video. Those are just a handful of the many special labels that uh, release Older films and newer films that you may not have heard of, but are of great importance to cinematic history or just downright entertaining. So, now that I'm off my soapbox about that, what is next for Matt Johnson? Well, going back to BlackBerry and also addressing my criticism of that, we don't get to go that in-depth to the characters. BlackBerry is actually being adapted into a three-part miniseries with 60-minute episodes for the Canadian Broadcast Corporation. So, with a runtime of just under two hours, that means that there is a whole extra hour of footage from BlackBerry that we haven't seen in the theatrical release. Hopefully, this means that uh, we'll be seeing the full version of BlackBerry soon here in the States, be it through DVD, hopefully Blu-ray, or just to stream it online. I was definitely entertained enough to where I was willing to watch an extra hour of it. And as someone who, anyone who follows me on Letterboxd knows, I am really sick of a lot of films being two and a half to three hours long nowadays. Blackberry was one of the few films where by the time it was over, I was actually wanting more of it and I didn't want to leave it. So let's just keep an eye out for that. But as far as directing goes, Matt Johnson is going to come full circle with Nirvana, the band, the show, creating what I believe is going to be titled Nirvana, the band, the movie, meaning that he is actually going from the web series, Nirvana, the band, the show to the television series, Nirvana, the band, the show to now directing a full length feature version of it, whether it's going to be a sequel to the series is up in the air right now. We don't even know when it's going to start filming, but I am very excited to see that. And hopefully, uh, If the phone gets enough word of mouth, we'll be able to see both the web series and the television series in its entirety. So that is it for the filmography of Matt Johnson. Uh, Thank you all for listening. Now, before we go, I just wanted to say a couple more things. Uh, Today, on August 4th, we unfortunately lost a great character actor, Mark Margolis. Uh, He died from a very short illness at the age of 83. Now, if the name doesn't immediately strike you as familiar, you have more than likely seen this guy's face in a bunch of stuff. Most notably, he played Hector Salamanca on the hit shows Breaking Bad and its prequel series, Better Call Saul. He actually got to start working with famed director Brian De Palma as an extra on Dress to Kill, and then went on to have a named role as The Shadow in Scarface with Al Pacino. He went on to have recurring roles in hit, other hit TV shows like The Equalizer and Oz, and he also appeared in all but two of acclaimed director Darren Aronofsky's films, uh, who made films like Pi, Requiem for a Dream, The Wrestler, Black Swan, Noah, just to name a few. Uh, and that's just scratching the surface. I mean, you look up this guy's work, he has been in a ton of stuff. He's definitely one of those that-guy actors who it was always a treat to see. It is uh, very sad that he passed, and may he rest in peace. But today is also a happy day for film fans, as it is the birthday of one director, screenwriter, actress, Greta Gerwig, who I am actually going to be covering in the next episode, Her Filmography starting with Lady Bird. Oh, no. As popular as Lady Bird is, it is not actually Greta Gerwig's directorial debut. She actually co-directed a film called Nights and Weekends with Joe Swanberg in 2007 or 2008. I'm going to have to double-check that. But we will know for sure on the next episode, we are going to be covering Nights and Weekends, Lady Bird, Little Women, and finally, her brand-new smash hit, Barbie. So I am very excited to talk about that. I have actually not seen it yet because preparing for this podcast has left me very jittery and nervous, but also very excited to finally have this fresh in my head. And I cannot wait to talk about her work. So to finally wrap things up, this is Davis Gammons at Unreal, the original cinema, wishing you wherever you are, whenever you're listening, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, but most of all, good viewing.